Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. continuing our series on um, Do It Again in our, in our time, Do It Again. Uh, hopefully you've been enjoying that series and um, we really feel the Holy Spirit's been doing some wonderful things amongst us. I know we've, um, in some ways, we've sort of transitioned into kind of winter now, haven't we? We originally thought we would keep this series going up until um, half term, Halloween. Um, just felt the Holy Spirit kind of not just to probably keep, keep it going and to be unpacking a little bit more of what we feel the Lord's doing. And it's a great pleasure now to have Jared McKenna with us, um, a good friend from Australia who um, has got Irish blood in him and in his ancestry. And so it's good to have him here. Um, so um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to, I'm going to kind of interview Jared in a way that's going to, I think, speak into the moment that we're in together. And I think he's going to contribute to that and, and speak into that in a way that's going to help us, challenge us, provoke us and encourage us. Okay. So, um, if you're happy enough for us, we're going to kind of do it slightly interview style, but we're going to let Jared loose, really, with um, some questions that speak into where we're at at the moment. Is that okay? That's the way we're going to do it tonight, and then hopefully maybe respond to what God's doing. So bef- before I do a bit more of a preamble, can we introduce, can we welcome Jared as he comes? Come on, Jared. <laughs> so, Jared, it's good to have you here. Um, I'm going to just... Um, Set, set a wee bit of the scene in a moment, but um, it was Jared's birthday yesterday. Day before, sorry, sorry. First of November. Okay. All Saints Day, well. <laughs> so um, we'll spur you singing happy birthday, but Thank you. We, uh, we, we wish you um, happy birthday. Anything you'd like to say, opening remarks before I do a preamble? Tell us a little bit about an update, even because you were here roughly this time last year. Yeah, yeah, it was about that. Uh, it's nice to be home. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, some of you have already grabbed me on the way in and, and said, um, it's, it's great what you're doing. Uh, there's uh, friends who have come up from uh, uh, Newry who are here tonight. Um, uh, for some of you, you know that um, I woke up maybe three weeks back now in the middle of the night, text you. I didn't even remember doing that. But I did write down border walk for peace. And so we've been doing... Uh, <laughs> I've spent the last three days working, walking from Newry to uh, Monaghan, yep, and then I start tomorrow there, and uh, I've got until the 15th um, to, to finish what God's asked of me. <laughs> so Jared was here to um, join us at the 24-7 prayer conference, he's been also doing, last weekend, he's also been doing some stuff with uh, YWAM, um, our friends up in Ross Trevor, and then he felt the Holy Spirit kind of wake him, and um, as he said, and doing a border walk, so walking the whole of the Irish border praying for peace, and um, so basically if you'd like to join him at any point on that um, journey, 
come and see me because I have a sort of loose itinerary of where it's going to be each day. And uh, you started on Thursday, isn't that right? Yeah. Three days in, so I think that's like 100k or so done already, or 60, 70k yeah, yeah. from Newry to cross, sort of cross the Glen to Monaghan, I think, so far. So uh, amazing that next week that will be continuing right through to Tuesday week, I think it is. So, yeah. so it's pretty good, isn't it? And, and you, can, you can come for prayer and you can come for peace. But Kathleen Falzani has flown in from the US, which some will know because of her best-selling book, Belieber, which is her book on Justin Bieber and his faith. Um, she's flown in from the US um, after telling her husband, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, like she's a journalist, that uh, this was happening. And so maybe you want to come for prayer initially and just stay to hang out with her and make a friend out of her. So that's worth doing too. <laughs> So it's great to have you uh, with us. You're also just to say it so everyone can be praying to you. You're just expecting a new baby as well. Isn't that right? The little boy's on the way. Yeah, Four months pregnant. All right. Yeah, so let's pray for that. It's really great to have Jared with us. It's been brilliant to get to know him over the last um, couple of years. And um, yeah, it's just a nice kindred uh, connection and relationship. And we love having him here. He's with us in Portadown this morning. And um, we had a great time looking at hospitality there. Um, just to set the scene for where we are tonight, and then I'm going to uh, ask Jared to speak into it. Um, we are on this journey, as I said, of basing this whole series around this prayer that's on the screen, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And um, I suppose that's our heart cry at the moment, you know, and as we stir up, we feel like the Holy Spirit wants to stir up an imagination for what awakening could look like. And I think that's also, that's partly because of the way the world is at the moment. We're trying to define and discern the times as the Lord told us to. We're trying to discern the times in which we're living in. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that we're living in pretty remarkable times. Yeah, we're living in remarkable, remarkable days. We're seeing things happen that we never thought we would see happen. There's conversations happening in the public square about our own nation that we maybe never even thought would come into public square in our lifetime, right? And so there's lots of uncertainty, lots of fear, lots of all of that stuff going on out there. And we have come to realize that the Holy Spirit is, um, well, in a sense, <laughs> the world is starting to discover what happens when it tries to live independently of God. We also feel that the Holy Spirit is challenging the church. And he's been speaking to us as a church about how we um, become a renewed people in the life of the Spirit. Humble, honest, truthful, uh, carrying his presence. And, uh, and I suppose what we tried to say is where we long for what we, isn't the reality just yet, kind of revival and an awakening in culture and society. What we do think is going on is the work that when you trace revivals and awakenings back is the work that happens prior to all the stuff that breaks out in society, which is the renewing of God's people. If judgment starts, it starts at the house of the Lord, yeah? And there's a degree to which the Lord is doing something deep in, his, in, in us and in his people, I think, in different parts of the world. And so what we've been trying to do, if you haven't been with us, is, is look at some of the preconditions, the things that happen to God's people in these times and in these moments when he breaks in and these moments when everything is going a little bit crazy out there seem to be the moments in history when something remarkable can happen for the kingdom when everything is being shaken we remember that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be 
shaken. And, um, and even though we're being shaken as well, we want to hold fast to the things that the Lord has called us to. And so we've been on this journey, and it's feeling like the sense of the Holy Spirit just coming and visiting us, uh, resting upon us, taking us deeper into his presence has been really strong over the last number of Sunday nights particularly. And it's been wonderful to see some of the outbreaks of salvation that happened even last week in this place and other wonderful things. But we're believing for so much more. And I, I think one of the challenges that the Lord has been bringing us over the last few weeks has been uh, about our posture and about our posture of humility and about our posture of relinquishing power and relinquishing control. And I'm not going to take time to read it because I just want to let Jared speak into it. But last week, we, some of you may not have been here with a day and a half term. We looked at the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6, which is the passage where David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, where he's longing to see God move and a revival happen and uh, in his time. And the presence of God has been such a key factor and marker in David's life up to that point, right? He hasn't got things all right, but in the Psalms, we see those beautiful words, don't we? One thing I desire of the Lord, this is what I see, yeah. And it's brought him to where he is. And he's been the king of Judah, two of the, which represented two of the tribes of Israel for a while, but now he's going to become king of Israel with a vision to unite the nation. And I suppose our heart would be that we want to see God do something in the whole island. And David's influence was about to go to another level. Not just was he king of a certain couple of tribes now, he was king of the nation. And as that um, influence rises, what we learn from that passage is so does our responsibility. As things scale up, as influence rises, as God entrusts us with more, so does our responsibility. Mm. And David is bringing this Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And on the way, it's a pretty intense story, if you know it. Somebody reaches out, touches the cart when it's about to fall, and dies. And David is like, how can the ark come down? How, how can I cope with the, this awesome sense of the presence of God? And, um, and what we learned from that story is the problem was that the, cart, the ark was never supposed to be put on a cart. The ark was created with little ringlets in it so that poles could go on it so that it would be carried on, our so on their shoulders. And I suppose the thing that we really feel the Lord speaking to us about at the moment is our posture. How often do we parade the presence of God as something that props up our own agendas? How often do we talk about the presence of God as something that helps us look good? Because how different is it when you're just like carrying it along with you to when you're like weighed down because of its weight and having to change your whole posture because you're carrying the presence of God. And David had to learn what it was to really steward the presence of God if he was going to see what he longed to in the nation. And so I suppose just because I know this is something that Jared has embodied in his life in lots of different ways, I just love you, first of all, maybe to speak into the challenge of that. You know, the challenge of how do we go even lower? How do we relinquish power? How do we relinquish control in a culture that's consumed with power and control and their own agenda and obsession with self? If we're going to really steward a sense of God's presence, how do we, how do, we do that? Or how could you speak into that to help us as we think yeah. about 
the flow of the Holy Spirit coming through us in an unhindered way, you know, and it stopped and people really doesn't get you know. Yeah. And um, some of us were at 24-7 prayer gathering. Who, who was there? I see that hand. I see, that's what us preachers say. I see that <laughs> hand. I see. Um, there, were, there was an incredible word there from a sister about a dream that she had eight years ago, and she only shared it for the first time, well, I guess, last weekend, where she talked about uh, seeing the throne room and seeing that everybody was caught up in worship, but everybody was the same height. It's like me standing next to Alan while he sits. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> It, there, there was this there was this deep sense for her that the the great leveling is the kingdom that is coming and so many of us have been caught up in christian cultures sincere cultures that uh teach if we lower ourselves and serve then god will lift us up instead of if we lower ourselves and serve we'll actually find us at the first places where the kingdom shows up mm. and it's subtle it's very, very subtle, but some of us go, I'm going to help out in the car park, I'm going to help out in kids, so one day I can be on platform, so one day I can speak to stadiums, so one day I'll be, and we miss that it's actually like cleaning the toilets, <laughs> it's actually those moments when you're in an emergency room um, uh, alongside somebody who will, will never know that you're, can I share one story from just this past three days? <clears throat> I'll try not cry. I had the incredible privilege on the first day somebody found that we were walking and that we were walking to listen in the midst of the current things that are going on as uh, people over in London or, or people down in Dublin discuss things that affect, you know, 37,000 people who call this island home are affected by complex post-traumatic trauma because of the troubles. And this man said... Um, would you join us to come to a place I haven't been since I was 17 years old? And we said, of course. And Kathleen and I, we, we, we went and he took us to a place where he hasn't stood, where three of his mates, same age, watching TV, were shot in their own home. Like him, they were Catholic. The next day, after losing three mates, others of his mates who were Protestant, in a van just further down the road, were stopped, and while he was over the hill, not far from it, those mates of his were shot as well. He hadn't been back there since he was 17 years old. And as we held hands and we prayed for healing of his trauma and the trauma of this land, I'm like, this is one of the most sacred responsibilities I've ever had. Now, often what people are impressed by is like, oh, I saw the number of people who responded in that stadium of 8,000 people. And saw like the hundreds. Of, I'm not sure that's the real stuff. The, the real stuff is when we realize if we look at the cross, not as a detour, but it is the kingdom come. The cross isn't the way to something else. It's how heaven is actually breaking in. If we have resurrection eyes, we start to see that real power is love. I'm, I'm ripping off you this morning. Alan had this, this great line this morning where he talked about power and love and that as we, if we see it through Jesus, we'll see that power is love and that love is power. Uh, one of my biggest mentors, the Reverend Jim Lawson, 
who Martin Luther King called the greatest tacticianer and strategist of nonviolent theory in the world. He's literally the man who trained Martin Luther King. And the honour that I've had to run workshops alongside him, uh, not merely learn from him. And he says, love is the greatest power available to us. And nonviolence is that power organised. And that this for the early Christians is why martyrdom, being willing to lay down our lives, is how they understood changing the world. Because how we witness to Jesus is love like Jesus even to the point of death. That's a hard message to preach. We want Jesus and our flags, Jesus and our team, Jesus and as long as he's on my side. And it's a very hard thing to walk to the places where that kind of stuff has literally taken lives and be called to something deeper than that, our baptisms, what it is to be in Christ and be named in Christ. So, we want to go, as a people, we want to go lower. We want to choose, uh, we want to follow Jesus into the cross. This mm. is what our baptism is all around. And we feel if we're going to see, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a, a repetitive statement now that we say, you know, we want more of you. But mm. obviously that means that you need more of us, really. And that God is calling us to like lay down our lives. And as we kind of been, we've gone this theme over the last number of weeks and months, we think what we feel is that a whole new level of Holy Spirit intimacy has been yeah. birthed as we've done that, you know, because it's like any relationship, the more you surrender yourself, the more you can receive from the other. And I think that what we've been finding as we've just created space to respond to the Lord and bow our knees and bow our hearts, that... <clears throat> the weight of God's presence wants to increase upon us. And in times of revival and awakening, what actually happens is that burden of God who came to the world yeah. is thrust upon people's hearts. And yeah. so this thrust, he entrusts us and, and asks us to steward his, his heart. And that results, as we've talked about, in contending mm. prayer. And that's the place that we find ourselves in at the moment. And I suppose just as we take that on, in the place of intimacy and in the place of surrender, is the place where certain things are conceived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without going into too much detail, in the place of intimacy is where conception happens. And I think, and, and so as we become more intimate with the Lord in these days, and He draws us and consecrates our hearts to certain designs and things from heaven, as in heaven, so on earth, that mm -hmm. He is conceiving in us. And, and I suppose just on the theme of what we've already started to touch on, here within our own land, <coughs> You know, there's something so strong about reconciliation and the forgiveness at the heart of the gospel that we really still need to see. We, we, we're, it's good that we're living through a time of peace, you know, but we need to see even more healing come if we are to become the people that God has called us to be. And so I know you have some thoughts about this, Jared. I'd love you to speak into this for us. Because I suppose, I suppose I'm really passionate for us to think about, guys. When any awakening happens, it can't just stay in the church, yeah? It has to spill out onto the streets. If, yeah. if it's going to be revival, it's a transformation of streets and towns and communities and all of that. Yeah. And if what we're contending for and what we're longing for doesn't result in some type of reconciliation between mm. our communities, mm -hmm. then it's questionable whether we could call it a revival. Mm. Okay. It, it'll be a number of good meetings. Mm. That's it. Yeah. And so we're going to have to be brave and courageous. And to be led by the Spirit to enter into places of forgiveness 
and healing and new spaces and new environments in order for this to be more than just the church getting renewed but about society getting transformed mm. and that's what we long for and it looks like we have an opportunity i suppose i want to pose this as a opportunity for us because the reality is most of the other kind of answers where they're coming for we're seeing aren't really working mm. <laughs> so how can we as a church how are we as a church make sure that any kind of thoughts and desires that we have for the lord to do it again in a time of awakening and revival how can we ensure that we're preaching and doing things that are deep in god's heart around forgiveness of sins before him but the forgiveness of one another yeah yeah, and I just want to name at the outset, uh, like I'm an Aussie from the other side of the world. My, my dad was born in Coleraine. My, my granddad is from Dungannon. My, my grandma's from Akadui. And uh, my, my family um, in Belfast live in Ardoin. And I had a, a powerful time with a, a young fella, Johnny, who's on an incredible journey and is facing a lot of pressure from his community because how deep he's going into following Jesus in this gospel of reconciliation. And uh, he's been called ecumenical, which is apparently a bad word in some circles here. I was like, wow, that's a, to love the whole body of Christ, bad, apparently. I was like, surprising. Um, uh, and it's particularly tough for him, um, because like many of us, uh, he has family that was lost in the Troubles. Um, his, his dad's mental health is still impacted today because of the murder of his grandfather by, by people um, on the side of the conflict that my family is named by. So none of this is abstract, and I'm certainly not here to pontificate from afar, but I am here to walk in such ways that ask for forgiveness and create conversations that as we were talking about earlier, if any of us were studying revivals in 1993, does anybody know which nation in particular would be the model that we'd be looking at if we were in Bible college or in a seminar in a church midweek? It was called the most Christian country in Africa until 94 and everybody stopped mentioning it as a model of revival. Rwanda. See, in Rwanda, there were revivals, both Protestant and Catholic, that didn't go deep enough to move past the way our cultures name us. So when the genocide in the 100-day period, 800,000 Christians were slaughtered by other Christians, we stopped holding up Rwanda as an example of revival. If our... Prayers for revival are about taking back and taking ground. Like even our language can speak to some of the ways they fall short of the glory of Christ. The meek started to inherit the earth, Bonhoeffer says, from Calvary. Calvary is where we see how God becomes king. And it's a strange power, Bonhoeffer tells us, and a strange kingdom of a king who's crowned at Calvary. And so, like, we've been looking at David and the models of David and David's kingdom, but the only reason that we have any claim on this book and can let this book have a claim on us is because of Christ. Unless, does anybody else have Jewish people in their family? My mum's side of the family are Russian Jews. Anybody else? Tough crowd. Welcome to this island. <laughs> 
So the only reason any of us can claim this as our own is because the grace of God revealed to us in Christ Jesus. So we can't read any of this about David without reading it through the son of David who was promised, who David as Lord will bow his knee to that Lord, as the psalmist says. And so when it comes to David's models of conquering, David wasn't enough, otherwise we'd worship David. And sometimes we talk about the kingdom and it's like we don't get the punchline of the joke that's been told. What kind of king rules from a cross and is raised by a power that empires know nothing of? There is a direct correlation to the gifts of the Spirit, to words of power and miracles and wonders and a people who give up on the power of the world. You can literally see in church history that as the church got into worldly power, kingdom power disappeared. It's a, it's a famous joke about St. Francis that I, I told last weekend. Uh, apparently St. Francis being shown around the Vatican in the 12th century and the bishop showing him around said, um, uh, um, no longer like the apostles do we have to say silver and gold have we none. <laughs> and Francis is apparently quipped back but no longer can we say pick up your mat and walk there is a direct correlation in some trust in might some trust in power but we trust in the spirit of our God and that's a very difficult thing because it's not about reviving that they'll come and be like me but actually I'm going to find Christ in them I mean that's not a revival that people are going to walk to run rock up in numbers unless they've been touched by the Spirit of God. I mean, who other than the Spirit of God would make you love your enemies? Nothing in your flesh will do that. Who other than the Spirit of God will make you forgive those who have cursed you? Nothing other. Who, who will sensitize you to the pain of others? None other than the name of Jesus. But when we attach Jesus to our agendas and then wonder why the revival didn't go deep enough, what we're seeing in the shallow is what we saw nakedly in Rwanda, is that our talk of a revival is almost blasphemous. And I'm not sure what we were doing in those meetings. Because if Jesus is Lord, doesn't call us to live and even die like Jesus lived and died, maybe we need to stop claiming that we know anything of the power that raised him from the grave. Because that power causes us to live like Jesus. And I've met enough people in this room already, the few times that I've been here, your own personal story. Some of us have wept and prayed together. You know something of that power. That's what we want for Logan. That's what we want for Portadown. That's what we want for Belfast. That's what we want for these towns that we're walking through on the border. That's what we want for this whole island. Is something that looks like Jesus, which isn't about you come join me over here but I'll come and join you as we together. Imagine if just 10% of all the people who call on the name of Christ on this little emerald isle were to live and go the way of Christ. Can you sense the kind of revival that is just dormant underneath? And in fact, the way that the enemy keeps us from that is kind of keeps us in the religious stuff that won't let us cross over and do what Jesus asks of us because it's hard. And we'll need his power. So I'm trying to do that. 
and I'm wrestling with stuff in myself as I, I walk along the border. Um, I feel pride, which I'm embarrassed about, and I feel shame that I'm embarrassed about, and I don't know if others identify with that. I, I feel rejection um, from family here. Um, I don't know if others identify with that. But there are things that some of us would like to forget that unless we remember a right, won't be healed. There are ways of remembering that weaponize, but there are also ways of remembering that beat our swords into plowshares. And we need a generation that know that our way of conquering is with a towel and not a sword as we wash feet, mm -hmm. not plan and plot how we're going to come to power. David's heart might have been right, but his hands weren't clean, mm -hmm. so he couldn't build the temple. Some of us look to Solomon and want Solomon kind of models, that if we get the power, if we start doing arms trading, if we start doing um, slave dealing, if we become slave traders like Solomon and build a temple to the God who hears the cries of slaves and make it beautiful, even though we use the labor of slaves, it knows nothing of the splendor of Christ Jesus. It knows nothing of the goodness of creation. And we can't hear the irony when our Lord says to us in Matthew 6, Solomon in all his splendor was not clothed like these simple lilies. We need that kind of, what kind of power do lilies have? <laughs> the beauty of being who they're created to be. We need a generation who can live into the beauty of who you're created to be as children of God. And all the armies, all the tanks, all the weapons, all the political argy-bargy, it knows nothing of that splendor, nothing of that glory. You can't imitate, Satan can't imitate love. And that's what we need, but that will bring us to repentance. And some of us want revival. Jared sometimes wants revival without me repenting. So incredibly challenging when you think of how and what we need to do when we try and be like Jesus, who never talked about revival because he was a living <laughs> revival, <laughs> showing us the new creation in and of himself. Um, and just as you touched on it there, as, as we feel and as we want to respond later, just to being challenged and provoked about how we continue to die so that more of Christ can increase within us, how we can continue to love with the grace. If God's pouring out his spirit, because as Jared just said, we can't do this in and of our own strength. We yeah. need a supernatural power. And so the spirit's poured out on the church, renewed on the church so that we can supernaturally love not just see the healings and stuff which we're longing for which we believe yes, in Lord. which we're pressing into the god who heals the sick and raises the dead and all of that but we need supernatural power to love our enemies mm. to turn the other cheek to go the extra mile to do all of the sermon on the mountain and stuff we need the spirit to do that and so as we feel challenged to kind of continue to go low so that he can fill us afresh to live that life to kind of just turn it slightly into kind of hopeful posture a little bit around what you're starting to see within the younger generation. I know you had some thoughts on this, mm. because I think the younger generation coming through are getting a lot of rap, if that's what you mm -hmm. put it, a lot of stick for being kind of uninterested and not really up to speed with what's mm. going on and just like wanting to look at their phones and da-da-da. 
But, but actually what we're starting to see around the world is a younger generation rising up that are actually much less cynical than the generation above. And we might actually have something that we need to become aware of yeah. in order for us to harness that energy to see God's kingdom come. Do you want to speak into that a bit too? Yeah, and uh, I've got a photo of uh, Bob, but I'll save that for just a, a bit. As I was coming into Cross McGlenn, I found myself thinking about 70 times 7. And of course, who said that? Yeah, Sunday night at church, the answer is probably Jesus. But bef- before it's talked about in terms of Jesus, where do we find it in the Old Testament? This is a fascinating thing. It's connected to Lamech. And he was going to take revenge 70 times 7. And we miss that all the things that hold us back from revival are the very things that God wants to work with to actually bring revival. It's the points where the scars that are across this land and in our own souls that we think, I've got to keep that away because that isn't worthy of revival. It's that stuff that needs to actually be brought forward. So Jesus' talk of forgiving 70 times 7 is actually revenge turned on its head and it becomes a generous liberation of ourselves and others. So no longer are we stuck in that cycle. So one of the things we've got to start to do and realize that is happening in this generation is that they're sensitized to suffering like never before. When we talk about, like, and the text is here, um, repeat them in our day in a a Jewish, so let me step out of the McKenna and step into the Saul in terms of um, my mum's side of the family. In a a Jewish way, they're not talking about revival like, take us back to the good old days. You know, nostalgia is a filthy, rotten liar. The, the revival that's coming is better than the one that's been. Revival isn't a power play. Bring us back to when we were in control and everybody looked like, like people talk in Australia, like, you know, when we were a Christian country. And I was like, when we were a Christian country, when we stole the land from the First Nations people, committed genocide, would beat our wives in silence and no one would find out, like those kind of Christian... Da- what are we talking about? Nostalgia is a filthy, rotten liar. We're not longing for a day when we felt like we're in control. We're surrendering all so God can have all the glory. In the Jewish sense, repeat them again is like, um, uh, as it talks about in um, uh, Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament, that each generation must make the exodus their own as if they themselves were walking out of Egypt. Do it again is that which you've done in the past, which you've been faithful to do. We are joining you and asking you, bring that now. Do that here. Not take us back there, but bring your kingdom forward right here. It's what happens when we share in communion. It's, it's not like communion is a time machine that doesn't take us into the past, but takes the future into us. We're saying, God's future in me. Baptism is a time machine that doesn't take us into the past, but brings the future into us. Revival is a time machine. God's future kingdom of justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Revival is humbling ourselves in such a way where we say, bring your future in us. Not bring us back to when we thought everything was perfect because we started lying out to ourselves because we're scared. Perfect love casts out all fear, and that's why we're showing Barb. Do we have that photo of Barb there? Do people who know who Barb is, does this photo mean anything? I, I see people in this. This has been one of the most popular series for Netflix. 
This is, of course, anybody know? Exactly, Stranger Things. There is now nine hours of Netflix viewing of Stranger Things. Barb features in four minutes of those nine hours, and yet she is the most important character. And the reason why I want to show this photo of Barb is if we're to understand Generation Z, we must understand how their psychology works and how they tick and how it's different. They don't identify with the cool kids, the popular kids with all the power. They are sensitive, sensitized to the suffering of others. Look at young Greta and the kind of impact she's having. Not because she has power, but actually because in her autism, her vulnerability makes her accessible. We're like, Greta's like us. And she's courageous and she's not hiding who she is. And we sometimes write off this young generation and go, oh, they're, 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 too, they're snowflakes, they're, they're too sensitive. That sensitivity, when surrendered to God, is where the revival will come from. If we don't identify with the barbs, who, um, when, and spoilers for those who haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it by now, we're four years into it being released, you're probably not going to watch it at all. So um, uh, for those who aren't into 80s nostalgia on Netflix and um, uh, uh, both Stephen King and Steven Spielberg kind of reminiscing, um, Barb gets eaten by the monster pretty early in. And what trended around the world did you hear that? What trended around the world on social me media was justice for Barb. We have a generation who identifies with the intelligent, library-dwelling, sassy young woman who's not cool, who gets taken out for no good reason. And the writers of the show were flabbergasted and had to bring her back in series two because the fans came complained so much that it wasn't a proper funeral and that the other characters didn't seem grieved for Barb. And they're like, she was on screen for four minutes. There's only three episodes that she features. Yes. And if you want to understand revival in this next generation, you need to understand that God has sensitized them to the suffering of the world. And if your hearts are hard, your hearts are in the way of revival hitting this generation. And if the church doesn't release these hearts to feel what breaks the hearts of God, they will join other young people and should be joining other young people as they demand for real action on climate change, as they demand for a real and just future for refugees. And this generation, Generation Z, as opposed to Generation Y, like me, technically, I'm an elder of Generation Y, the year of the elder. Don't I look like a distinguished generation? Anyway. If we don't... Just for people who don't understand, yeah. Generation Z is from where? Uh, Z ends at 70... Oh, sorry. Um... 97 onwards, so 98. Basically, um, they, they called them the um, uh, internet natives. So I, I remember in high school when the internet came online, um, I remember our, our school libraries and everything and that being part of our study. If you remember when internet hit your school libraries um, and you're born after 1980, such as me, your why, um, and if it's always been there, you're Zed. And Zed, they're cautious of social media. They're on everything. They've seen everything, but they're not posting as much as us wise because they've seen how we've ruined job pro prospects by putting everything up and that that was a bad idea. 
And part of that sensitivity... <laughs> it's so true, though, right? Part of that sensitivity is why their heart is for Bob. And when they see in the church that people who claim the name of Jesus don't care about what God clearly seems to care about if he's revealed in Christ Jesus as we see him in the Gospels, it's like, well, at least I know with those who are organising the climate strikes in my school, they really care and they really want everybody on board. And if we can't connect the dots between those things, we're the ones who are longing for nostalgia and longing to cling on to power instead of give up power and let them run with what God is doing. So we've got a few minutes left. Would you like to like wrap that round or give us another bigger question? Even if I want to. T- so the truth is, I had a thirty-five minute sermon, but this has been great. Like um, maybe I will just say about. Do people know the story of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. I see nods. Like I confess this. I probably shouldn't say this because you're like, well, I'm not going to trust a pastor who didn't know this was in the Bible. But Alan and I were talking earlier, and I was saying that if you'd told me this was in a the Bible six months ago. I was like, no, it wasn't. And I've done those like read the Bible in a year. There's no way that I haven't read this. But I, honestly, I've never heard a sermon on it. I had no understanding of it whatsoever. Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is the, the longest chapter on anybody with a disability. And to give you the 30 second kind of rap, some of us love King David. Some of us problematically love King David more than we love King Jesus. Like we want King Jesus to save us from our sins, but we want King David's model of revival. (laughs) And that's problematic. Um, Mephibosheth is this strange incident in David's life where we actually get a little insight to how problematic David is and how David needs saving. Not just in terms of Bathsheba, how David needs saving in terms of how he took the city. How Jesus took the city of peace, Zion, Jerusalem, by hanging on a cross is very different to how David hung up those who were called blind and lame as he took the city just a couple of chapters before. But Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I feel like I'm speaking in tongues every time I say his name. And that's because I am. And maybe we'll just like, even his name, his, his name um, literally means breaking shame. And maybe part of the uh, questions we need to ask ourselves is, who's teaching us to pronounce our names? Because if the devil teaches you to pronounce your name is breaking shame, you'll hear it as, this shame has named me, debilitated me, there's nothing. And Mephibosheth refers to himself as like a dog. Because if you're from places like Lodabar, which literally translates from the Hebrew, no thing or no word or no place, you can start to believe. This is one of the neighborhoods Jesus was from, by the way. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Some of us are from that, those neighborhoods right here and no one expects anything from us. And we can start to see ourselves as a dog. But when we've heard the king pronounce our name, It's the same name, but it's the difference between my name means the shame that breaks me or my name means shame broken. It's the same word, but who's teaching you to pronounce your name? 
the same things that are spoken over this generation of why we won't see revival, what's wrong with them, are the very things in the mouth of the king that is actually bringing revival. But can we hear it pronounced in such a way that doesn't look like King David who shows said, who shows mercy, which is great. We should all show mercy. But actually looks like King Jesus who not only shows mercy but reveals God to be mercy. Jesus is not just how God saves us. Jesus is our saviour, our Lord, our King. He demands our obedience to his way of not taking cities with swords, but hanging outside cities, bearing the shame of cities, and giving back forgiveness that opens up a new future for the entire world. That's what we're to witness to. And it's easier to preach about it than it is to do in a conversation where people use certain terms, say things in certain ways, and it brings, you don't know what my family went through. You don't know why we had to migrate. You don't know what it cost. And can we be present to the Holy Spirit in that and see revival in those very moments where we would otherwise break it because we're hearing our name pronounced through prophecy of our King instead of the patheticness of which we've come to see ourselves because we thought, because somebody else dropped us, and we live in the place of no bread, no thing, no word, that we're nothing. I want you to hear you're something. I want you to hear that things that people try and curse you with, God will turn that upside down through the cross and through the power of the resurrection. It'll be a blessing. The very things. Your name is not breaking shame. Your name is breaking shame. The band are going to come. Just a few ways I'd love us to respond tonight. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.